my, what a night. What a night to be a Christian. And I want you to know how much I appreciate so many of you wandering through the waves and the seas to get here. I was thinking that, uh, you know, Noah might be around somewhere and then I remembered about the rainbow and God's not going to do that again. But it's been a wonderful day and God has been so good. And I'm thankful that we remember fathers. It was June the 12th, almost 34 years ago, or a little more than 34, that my father died. And I had a very difficult time for a year or so. I'm thankful that I didn't do any funerals during that year. But you know what? I, I learned during that year that I still have a father in heaven. And my father is mighty good to me and hears my prayers and loves me. I wanted to spend a moment talking a little bit about my work. It's been a while since I gave a report to you. We are now, of course, everywhere in the United States, all 210 television markets. and All of them you can see the In Search of the Lord's Way. That's on WGN America, but beyond that, we're on about 210 television stations like the one here on CW. Uh, there are 210 of those, 100 and 50 cable systems and about 60 radio stations that we're on now throughout the United States. We also appear in about 30 other countries, and I'm thankful for that. We go in lots of different places where they are able to see the gospel. All through the Caribbean, uh, Virgin Islands, Belize, Guatemala, uh, not Guatemala, but Guyana. Uh, we're on in Iceland, we're on in Micronesia, American Samoa. By radio, we're on everywhere between Tahiti and New Zealand. And God has opened up these doors in wonderful ways and helped us and blessed us in so many ways. And there is no congregation anywhere that has been more faithful, more generous, more giving than the Edmund Church of Christ. And for that, we are very very grateful. The friendship that Search has had with you for these 39 years is not a small thing. There are very few ministries, media ministries, that have been around as long as 39 years, and yet we've been able to share that with you. And of course, we'll have an anniversary on the 1st of September, not very far away, and that'll end 39 years of service, and then we'll begin our 40th year. And I am thankful that 38 of those have been with you and, uh, for what you've done. We've been dealing with uh, go and, and uh, connect and embrace, I forget the second word, for quite a while. We have this little booklet called Becoming a Christian. If you have a friend who's not going to church anywhere, maybe somebody that's never quite uh, learned anything about the gospel, you want to share what to do to be saved and talk about the church and various things related to it, we have this little pamphlet, and it's free, and you can get them up at our office. They're available anytime, as well as any of the booklets that we send out. I hope that you will use this material as you're striving to teach other people what to do to be saved. Sometimes when you have a family member and you cannot talk to them because it can be a little emotional, you can give them something to hear or something to read. And that helps a whole lot to break the ice. Well, we're going to be talking about Laodicea. Laodicea. 
And in Revelation 3 and verse 14, there it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen. Now that's an interesting name for Jesus, to call Him the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And then he talks about what he says. Laodicea was situated on the bank of the Lycus River, its position at a junction of three imperial roads. Now, that would have mean this would be a place where a lot of people would be passing through there, a place where you could do an awful lot of business, all of these roads intersecting in that place. And so it was a very wealthy commercial district. Whenever you think about Laodicea, there are three things that you need to think about. Number one is it was a banking center. There were a lot of banks there. Yes, banking is quite old, loaning money and saving money back. And even Cicero commented and recommended exchanging money and doing it at Laodicea. Not only that, it was a place where they would make a lot of clothing and a lot of wool. They made carpets there, they made clothing there, made very fine clothing there. And so it was a place where if you needed anything that was made out of wool, that would be the place you wanted to go. A third thing was they had kind of an industry there dealing with people who had eye problems. They had a salve, an ointment that you could put on your eyes that would bring a little relief and help in those days. I don't know what it was made of, and I don't know much more about it than that. But apparently it was the kind of place that if people had eye problems, that's where they wanted to go. They wanted some of that eye salve. Now, everything that comes in these first couple of letters, these first three chapters, the book is called The Revelation, and that word is singular, Revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to these churches. And he gives it to an angel or a messenger. That messenger reads that for the very first time in front of the congregation. And so imagine you were in Laodicea. There was someone who came to you with a letter from the Lord Jesus Christ given through an angel and now it's being read. There were readers in those congregations at that time who read aloud. The book of Revelation was written to be read, chapter 1 and verse 3, read aloud. And so he is reading the very words that Jesus gave to them, and he was doing it for the very first time. Imagine you were hearing this message from Jesus. But he describes himself, first of all, as the Amen. It's the Lord speaking, the Amen. The word Amen is kind of a word of consent and approval. And the idea is something is true. Sometimes that word Amen is translated truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, all of those times in the Gospel according to John, that word truly, truly is Amen, Amen. That's an important part of who Jesus is. He's not just someone who speaks. But when He speaks, He speaks truly. You can believe it. You can count on it. It's real and it is sincere. He is the faithful 
and he is the true witness. Whatever he says, you can believe and you can count on. Not only that, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, he's not saying here that Jesus was the first created being, as some people think. He's saying he is the one who began creation. He's the origin of what has been created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John knew that from John 1 and verse 1. And he knew that it, all things were made through him. And as Colossians 1.16 says, they were made for him. And let me tell you something. Every person in this room tonight, not only were you made by Jesus Christ, you were made for Jesus Christ. And so he begins to speak. And he says in verse 15, I know your deeds. There isn't anything that Jesus doesn't know about us. Not a single thing. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He says, I wished you were cold or hot. And then he says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty strong statement. Many of the other letters that have been read over these last few weeks, there's usually a commendation at first. But Jesus doesn't commend this church, doesn't commend them at all. Jesus knows all about us. He knows how we think. He knows how we act. We know He knows the good things. He even knows our secrets. Whenever we are praying, He knows what we pray. He knows everything about us. You remember that John observed in John 2 and verse 24, but Jesus on His part was not entrusting Himself to them, that is to His enemies and others. For he knew all men, and because he didn't need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was in you, and he knew what was in me. He knows all of us. He says to them, you're hot or cold. And then he talks about lukewarm, those three things. In nearby Hierapolis, not far from Laodicea, there were a lot of hot springs. That would be the kind of place that they would go and visit. It'd be the kind of place that people would like to be around hot springs. And so they knew about hot water. They knew what boiling water was, and hot water. But then at Colossae, which was also nearby, you remember when the letter was written to the church at Colossae, Colossians 4 and verse 16 says, Well, now you have this letter read over at Laodicea too. It wasn't that far from them. Colossians 4 verse 16. Well, Colossae had a lot of cold water because the mountains nearby had a clear stream of excellent water, clear and pure and good. And the people knew about cold water. And then you had Laodicea. Well, Laodicea, of course, was not that far from the river Lycus. But the Lycus River would often dry up some in the summer. Be like the North Canadian, you know, 
a quarter mile wide and 18 inches deep in the deep part. That's the way it was. Well, they had a viaduct. They wanted to use that water, so they had this viaduct from the river to the city. But you know what? Whenever that water began to dry up a little bit, what you had was not cool, fresh water coming into that viaduct, but you'd have water that had been there for a little while. It wasn't cool and refreshing. And after a while, it would become a little bit foul. Mm. I can remember all around when I was a young man, whenever I'd go to a certain place and they'd say, oh, the water isn't good, very good right now. They talk about the reservoir and they talk about the water turned over. You ever heard that phrase, the water turned over? I don't know how the, the lake and the water turns over, but you know what happens is all of that stuff at the bottom gets mixed in and the water doesn't taste as good as it used to. You can imagine in this viaduct, if you had some foul water, maybe some that was there that would make you sick. And it's no wonder Jesus would talk about drinking that foul, lukewarm water and it making him sick. They knew exactly what he was talking about. I think about some folks who are very involved, involved people. They love Jesus. They come to church, they attend, and they worship from their hearts because they want to Jesus to know how much they love them. They are people who are willing to give generously. They are people of service. They give to others regularly. They give to the church regularly. They are people who are willing to share of themselves and be the kind of people who love God and everybody knows they love God because they talk about it. They are willing to go and connect and embrace. And they like to in, uh, imitate God. They live moral good lives. Then you have people who are not involved. Maybe many of them don't even believe. And rather than loving God, mostly what they love are themselves and their pleasures. They're people that maybe never go to church or only go if they have to. There are people who will be kind once in a great while, but that's not really the way they live. They never think of telling others about Jesus because they don't know, and they're not sure they believe. There are people who are uninvolved, and many of them get to the point where maybe they forget God. I've known Christians who were very involved at one point in their lives, and weren't hard, were hardly involved at all in other parts of their lives. Now, the only thing wrong with this sermon is it's preached on Sunday night. This is a Sunday morning sermon. Because there are people who somehow think, if I've come to church on Sunday morning, I don't have to come Sunday night. Or they don't want to be around God's people on Sunday night for one reason or another. I don't know why. Perhaps it's not something sinister. Maybe it's just that they got things that they want to do and they've forgotten God. God is not as important to them. And then there are folks who are somewhere in between that are lukewarm. They sometimes love Jesus and sometimes they are off to themselves. They sometimes attend and worship and sometimes... 
They worship, but they're not really there. They're not really there. Sometimes they'll give the leftovers. What's the least I can get away with? Sometimes they uh, think about telling somebody about the gospel when it's too late. They may be people who had fire for God at one particular point in their lives, but don't have much fire for God at this particular point in time. Can you remember back when you first became a Christian? What zeal you had. What desire you had. Maybe it's those of you who have been in college and you've been around a lot of people reading the Bible and doing things. And you have a desire to serve God, a desire to be around God, and somehow or another as time goes by, you forget that. You lose sight of it. Now he gives a reason for why he's saying this in verse 17. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Well, you can imagine these people in these successful businesses, whether it was the wool business or the ISAV business or whether it was the banking business or any of those other businesses that supported them. You can imagine how many of them were doing quite well. And so they got to that point where they forgot God and forgot what God had done for them. You say, I am rich and I've become wealthy and I, I don't have need of anything. I, I'm doing quite well. And yet you don't know that you are wretched. Now that's how Jesus saw them. You have to understand how you see yourself and how the Lord Jesus sees you are two different things. You might think everything's okay. And the Lord looks at you and say, now there is a wretched person. There's somebody who's miserable and pitiful. There's someone who is poor. And this is the destitute type of being poor. Somebody that didn't have anything. They thought they had everything but they weren't rich toward God. They were poor in that sense. Not only that, they were blind. They couldn't see themselves as God saw them. Robert Burns had that little poem about a woman sitting in church. And uh, she had this beautiful hat on. And what she didn't know was inside of that hat she was wearing, which was quite a, quite a display, there was a little mouse that was running around inside the hat. And the people who were behind her could see the mouse, but she couldn't. And of course, his famous line is encouraging people to be able to see ourselves as others see us. But I would go one step farther and say, wouldn't it be something if we could see ourselves the way that God sees us? So they were wretched and miserable and poor and, poor and blind, and then he says, and naked. Well, man, a place where there is a clothing center, to be called naked would be quite interesting. What a contrast between they were, the way they were physically and the way they were spiritually. And so he says, I advise you 
to buy from me gold that is refined by fire so that you may become rich. Now this would be spiritually rich, the true riches, the riches that last beyond this life, the riches that you can take with you. Oh, you can't take anything physical with you when this life is over, but you can take the spiritual things. You can have treasures in heaven. And those are the things that we all need. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments, white garments. Now, Revelation will speak about white garments a little bit later on when he talks about those who enter into the city are the ones who wear white garments that are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Apparently there was a sin problem in their lives. I want you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And then he says, I want you to buy the eye salve so that you may anoint your eyes so that you may see. He wanted them to be able to see clearly as they really were what was going on in, from God's perspective. Here were a group of people that depended way too much on their own power. And because they were depending on themselves and what they could do and what they had and what they enjoyed already had forgotten God. It's no wonder they were lukewarm and foul to God. Can you imagine if the Edmund Church of Christ forgot God? How He would look at us why, we would be foul to him. That's what was taking place at Laodicea. They desperately needed what they didn't have. And that was a dedicated spiritual life. And because they were blind to themselves, they were not rich toward God. I think of the words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy the 8th chapter, in his second sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is actually a book with three sermons in it. And this is the second one. And he says to them, he reminds them about their lives. And he says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart may be lifted up. Oh, yeah. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Now, he had rehearsed for them the things that had taken place in their lives and how that they came out of Egypt. They didn't lose their firstborn. And how God had walked with them all through the places that they went. How they crossed the Red Sea and were delivered from the armies of Pharaoh. How he had given them manna every day. How their clothes did not wear out and their shoes did not wear out. And how that they would go into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
and all kinds of good things. Moses was preparing their hearts as they were to go into the promised land. And he says, when you get over there, don't forget God. Don't forget God. And it's easy for people to do that. I think the most important thing that ever happens in your life or in my life or in anybody's life is when they can come to that point when they understand I need God. I need Him in my life. I need Him in my soul. I need Him in everything that I do. Jesus, on that same night before He was to be be leaving or in that week before He was to leave, Luke 21 and verse 34, He says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That's a big word which means loose moral living. In other words, you're loose morally. You're not what you ought to be. You're not someone who really takes God's Word seriously. Don't let your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And then that day, the day when Jesus comes again, comes upon you suddenly like a trap. It is so easy to feel satisfied with life that everything is okay when it's not okay. Jeremiah observed about the way people think. In Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, he said, The heart is more deceitful than all else. People can lie to themselves. Their heart can deceive them. They want something so badly that they'll find any way to justify doing what they're doing. Any excuse to do what they want to do rather than do what they ought to do. And so he said, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I think we all have to look deep into our hearts from time to time to see whether or not we are really being honest with ourselves and with God or whether or not we're trying to excuse something that we should not excuse. Then God says, I, going back to the beginning, I, I search the heart. The Lord knows what's going on inside of you, in that inner being inside you. And He says, I test the mind. I know how you're thinking. Even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Let me tell you what takes place in the heart if it's there again and again and again will take place in the life, take very great care of how your heart goes. The problems at Laodicea were not as much money and things as it was a heart problem. A heart problem. And so Jesus says, those whom I love I love you. But if I love you, I'm going to reprove you. That's a word we don't use much, reprove. It's the idea of someone who has been shown an error and in a kind of a strict, harsh way. It's almost like he's going to holler at us a little bit and say, no, don't do that. That'll hurt you. 
And he doesn't do it because he's mean or because he's angry as much as it is because he loves us. Those whom I love, I reprove. And you know what? I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to get your attention. Why? Because it is so important. The matters that we're talking about are so vital and so necessary. I'm going to get your attention. Therefore, here's the... Here's the assurance, or here's the direction. You be zealous. You be earnest. You repent. You get serious about your faith. You get serious about your love and your commitment. And you change your life like you change your heart. Now, the thing that is so interesting is that Jesus, even though this was a lukewarm church, that he wanted to spit out of his mouth. Even though they were lukewarm and foul, he loved them anyway. He loved them anyway. And he still wanted them. He still wanted them to be close to him. And he showed his love by reproving them and disciplining them. I don't know all the things that he did, but I know he did something. God called these lukewarm Laodiceans to be zealous, to get involved again, to have a different way of looking at things, to get excited about their faith, to have this drive inside of them that they haven't had in a while, to notice that this thing is urgent and important. There is a reason why whenever Randy all this month, the last few months, has been talking about these stories of conversion in the book of Acts, there's a reason why that jailer at midnight wanted to be baptized. There was a reason why Lydia, after her heart was moved, wanted to be baptized. There was a reason why the eunuch wanted to be baptized and the people of Samaria wanted to be baptized and why that 3,000 whose hearts were pierced wanted to be baptized that day. They didn't want to wait until some other time. They wanted it right then. And you know what? There are times when we as Christians need to have such an urgency and earnestness, such a sincerity, such a zeal that we say, I can't go another day and not be right with the living God. Be zealous and repent. And then he said, Behold, I... I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, he will open the door and I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus said, let me back in. Let me back in. You've put me out. You've shut the door on me. And I'm outside and I'm knocking. Let me back in. Let me back in. If you'll open that door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you and you can eat with me. We can have that fellowship, that warmth, that relationship that is so vital and so necessary for people to hold together. And that's what Jesus wanted. Even though they were foul, he still wanted them to change and he wanted them. And you know what? He wants every single one of us 
He wants our families. He wants our friends. He wants our neighbors. He even wants the people that we don't know and even the people that we may not like because He made them too. And He wants them. We didn't go begging for Jesus. Jesus came begging for us. And He's still begging. Still begging. Let the Lord come in. You need God. And so He says, He who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. I don't know of any promise that's made, and there is a promise at the end of every one of these seven letters, but I don't know that there's any promise that's made that is higher than this one. You overcome. You, you, you get zealous again. You get rid of those sins and put on that white garment. You buy for me that, that refined gold. You put that eye salve on where you can see yourself and you began to make those changes. And you know what? You're going to sit down on the throne with me. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sit down on the throne with Jesus Christ? You're going to sit down on the throne with me. I'm going to grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That is an incredible promise for those who overcome. Are you overcoming? Are you overcoming? And then he says, He who has an ear, the seventh time he says it, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? Are you hearing what he said? Jesus offered the highest privilege to these lukewarm Christians. And you know what? That promise gives me hope, but it motivates me to want to be zealous. And yes, to repent when I need to. And even with all of my failures, the Lord can be gracious and still want me to come home and eat with Him and let me sit on His throne. Though He knew that Peter would deny Him three times, though He knew that the disciples would scatter, though He knew that Judas would betray Him, you know what? He still ate with them that Passover. And he still washed their feet. It is incredible to me a little bit that he washed the feet of Peter. But it's even more incredible to me that Jesus Christ washed the feet of Judas. He loves us even when we don't love him. He wants to bless us even when we have decided not to bless Him. 
I don't want to be lukewarm and foul to Jesus. I know that the Lord Jesus will knock. But you know what? The Lord Jesus doesn't knock forever. There comes that point in time when people say no to him again and again and again. And he says, okay. And his heart's broken. Don't say no to Jesus. And don't break his heart. The Lord is knocking. Let him in. Are you listening? Are you listening? If you need to respond by becoming a Christian, placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing His name, and by being baptized, this would be a good night to do that. If you're a brother or a sister and you've become foul to Jesus, this is a good time to repent and ask God to forgive you. If you need to do that, why not respond now while we stand and sing?